Hello and welcome movie connoisseurs around the globe. You've tuned in to That Reminds Me Of with Baron and the Doc. And this is the show where we talk about films and the films that those films remind us of. And it's spoiler heavy as usual. So if you hate spoilers, go and see the film first. If you don't care and you want to hear what we think about all the little intricate plots, plot points, then listen on. And this episode, we're going to be talking about The Boys in the Band, a new Netflix number. That's right. The 1968 play converted into a, a film in the 70s, I believe, maybe, mm. and now a new Netflix film. And I haven't seen any of the previous iterations. This was fresh for me. How about you, Doc? No, I haven't seen any of them either until this. I didn't know any background. Uh, so let's just jump into it. Awesome. A synopsis. Should I do a synopsis is probably the better way to say it. I think do a synopsis. You just synopse to your heart's content and we'll I, see what you're missing. I shall synopse and it will be short and sharp because this is one of those films, I think, where we're better off talking about it in depth bit by bit. Agree. So, all right, good. Well, uh, the film starts off with the title New York 1968. It sets the scene right from the beginning and then follows with a sort of Ocean's Eleven style introduction to each of the characters that will be the players in this play slash film. And uh, there, uh, how many men are we talking about here? There's at least six or seven gay men oh. in New York City and they're all kind of making their way through the city about their lives. Uh, and then you follow um, Michael, who's the main character played by Jim Parsons, who takes you to his, you sort of arrive at his apartment where he's busily setting up for a birthday party for his friend Harold and kind of fretting about all the things he has to prepare and the characters that are going to be in the room together. And in the middle of all that preparation, you get, he gets a uh, surprise call from an old college friend of his, Alan, who is a straight man. Or so we think, we don't know. Uh, but that's what we're assuming at, at the time. And Michael starts to worry about what happens when Alan, his straight friend, uh, will, will drop in on this party filled with all of his gay friends. And of course, you're remembering it's 1968 where this is you know, more of a real issue than it might be today. Uh, and amidst, basically, as people keep arriving, you, you're wondering when Alan's going to show. And pretty much the whole party kicks off. Finally, Alan arrives. It's as awkward as you think it would be. And it kicks off, strangely, after lots of little sort of interactions and fights and, and things kind of the party falling apart. It kicks off this strange game of that Michael suggests of phoning the people who you love the most in your life from your past. And there's a point system involved where uh, if you can... If you can catch them on the phone, if you can do certain things, you get points with the ultimate being that you get them on the phone and then tell them that you love them. And of course, this is an awkward and horrible game for pretty much anyone. But uh, with this particular group of people, uh, all these gay men in a society that's not so accepting, it's even more yeah. fraught. And of course, Alan's there the whole time just, you know, watching on and uh, the whole thing kind of, I, I would say that's sort of the end of the plot driven parts of it. The rest is mm. all just high drama. 
well, the whole thing is high drama. <laughs> true. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's um, true. <laughs> then you've got the Jim Parsons character uh, basically being the scorekeeper throughout <laughs> this little, like a metronome sa- soundtrack through the whole thing. Two yes. points, one point, <laughs> ten points. That's right. That's All right. sarcastic, you know, and and biting. Does that pretty much cover what the story is, though? If if you're going to kind of boil it down to a to a plot, yeah, I think you got it. A bunch of bunch of blokes. Um, a point where worlds collide. Um, Jim Parsons' worlds collide. Uh, when they collide, he just keeps on, you know, lighting that fire um, to make them collide even more. And and it's just it's it's like when you. It's like Donald Trump when you, he just, you know, throws away the rule book, puts, makes some crazy thing happen, and then just see what, see what eventuates. It's like if Donald Trump could create a party situation where he he invited seven of his most sort of bombastic <laughs> and friends yeah. who are also enemies, and then tweeted the whole time while things started blowing up around the apartment. <laughs> that's, ex- that's what it is. Okay, yeah. I think we can stop there. It's good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's exactly so, what the film is. And his character, that's sort of the whole nuance of his character, isn't it? Is that you're just watching mm. him set up in motion train wrecks the whole way through the film. Should we start with Jim Parsons? He's kind of the center of the film, isn't he? Yes, let's let's do that. And and Jim uh, and Jim Parsons, if if you don't know who we're talking about, is famous for the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I, I know the Big Bang Theory. Everyone does. It's a pop culture thing. Mm. Uh but I would have, I could count on, you know, two hands maybe how many episodes I've seen. Right. Uh, so I don't, I'm not, I know his character, I know what his character is basically, but I, you know I don't Sheldon. know much about his work. Yeah. And it's funny, I, I haven't seen the show much, but I know who Sheldon is. I know the character. I understand mm. the ins and outs of that character, even though I've only seen, you know, I, I've probably seen more than a couple of, but maybe 15 episodes in all the years. Mm. So. And he's, he's, he's quite a distinct character. So, uh, I think for me, even not being that familiar with him, seeing him at the start, I had to shed a lot of baggage about, you know, um, this is Sheldon, yeah? Uh, but I thought, you know, they he he did that pretty well at the start. Like I, I was feeling for the for the character and getting to getting to know him and getting to like him a little bit. You know what? So much of that character is just the fact that uh, Jim Parsons has that incredible accent as well, you know, like that way of speaking, <laughs> and that's in this character as well. So, mm. because we've grown up with Sheldon in a way, like we know who this guy is, and that voice is connected to to that character, it's really hard to not have Sheldon in your mind when when you hear mm. Jim Parsons start saying things in his crazy accent. Maybe that adds to it. That maybe that's baggage that is is okay. It, I don't know. It didn't bother me at all. I actually. Mm. I actually really enjoyed his performance and I enjoyed seeing a growing up complicated mm. variety of this human who we know as Sheldon from other shows but you know like just to to see to to see the depth that he can bring to a character was really enlightening it was great Yeah did did he stick with you though like I I found him both intoxicating and problematic all in one. I'm not sure how much is him and how much is the script and how much is the direction, but he was kind of, he was subtle a little at the start and then clearly he gets drunk and clearly he goes on, you know, self-destruct mode. 
but that sometimes seemed just a little bit too quick and too implausible. Mm. Um, just how, you know, how self-destructive he became, how nasty he was. I know he had has chips on his shoulders, but he was a really nasty character. And sometimes you, you, I felt it would have been nicer to really feel for him a bit more all throughout, whereas sometimes he lost lost me. Uh, yeah, he, he does become a real nasty pasty real quick. He uh, does. And I I think it's not... Yeah, the the drinking element, I, I agree, doesn't really work for me. Uh, I didn't get a mm-hmm. sense that they were they were all there knocking back drinks and this is what we're, we're seeing. And also the, the idea that Harold, one of the other characters, oh, who I should have just mentioned, this is, it's his birthday party, Zachary Quinto mm. plays Harold and the arrival of Harold is another real moment is sort of that you're, that you're anticipating the whole, through the first half of the film. Um, and he supposedly arrives high, and and I didn't get really that sen- that sense from him either. You know, like he just seemed like Zachary Quinto playing a, a full on character. Yeah, should we step back a bit? Like because mm. we've we've there's a couple of clear shifts, isn't there? Like the there's the setup, um, this this initial setup of the relationships where you you like you said, um, Ocean's Eleven style. You you see all of the the different characters. And then they, most of them arrive, um, and there's this, you know, like it's the gayest, it's the gayest show in town, you know. There when when they're all all arriving, and I, I felt like I was actually feeling I need some women in this, in this in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It was it was all too much for me initially. Um, I felt the it, same way, man. I. Yeah, that that whole opening sequence, pretty much the first act, felt like the the most sort of cliched of mm. of kind of gay Ocean Elevens that you could make. It was you know? Gay Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, yeah, that's it, so true. It, just, it was too much gay all at once. It was. And, yeah. And then the the film doesn't stay that way that's the thing is it becomes really subtle and nuanced but it's just that Mm. first act and i wasn't sure what kind of film we were going to get you know like just with that banter when you have jim parsons um and you have who's the other actor that plays uh donald matt bomer matt bomer yeah Mm. you've got those two in the apartment together at first and the banter is just so heightened and it's it's so cliched just with all the little phrases that are being thrown around and the wittiness of it all and i i just i I was i was worried for the film at that point (laughs) i was too and as a as a straight audience i i almost felt excluded from the 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 joke you know in a in a way and there's there's all um all the art on the on the all the art was gay it was all just very very gay but but I think it when you get when you start to get through the movie and you you implied this before, I think that setup was really worth it, you know, because you you're entering a a world, aren't you? And um, I think it pays off just becoming part of that world. Yes, I I had a, I had to stop myself at a certain point because I was like I say I was sort of going I was getting worried about the whole thing, mm. and and then I thought, you know, actually, and it was when the turn the first turning point happens. There's there's a distinct moment where um, the it's kind of like the film's first. It felt like the first self aware yeah. moment of the film, yeah. where uh, 
What's his name? Alan. <laughs> no, sorry. It was before Alan. It's it's actually for me. It was when Michael said, he he just goes, uh, "Fini, applause." And and it's actually <laughs> when his rant, like that whole rant, is yeah. over, and the film for a second, the first time, just takes a breath, and they both yeah. just go quiet for a moment, and then I was like, okay, what we've done here is we've set up the facade. Everything yeah, nice. that's come up, come before this is the image. It's the facade, and we're about to see this get broken down. And th- then I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm in all the way by that point, you know? I love that interpretation. I, I probably hadn't, hadn't noticed that, but if that if that's, was the intention, that's very self-aware and it's great. Uh, there was another, another line, um, I think Michael, Jim Parsons, said it as well. What's more boring than a queen doing a Judy Garland inter- interpretation? <laughs> uh, and and at the time I thought, yeah, that, that sounds like a comment on the film so far. It's like you know, uh, doing you know hyper exaggerated versions of um, of stereotypes. Yep, and is what it felt like. I I I love it, and particularly in this moment of the film, like I think it's around, it's just before the other guests start to arrive. I think there's a great shift in mm. the film um but at later times in the film which we'll, we can get to the same thing occurs where they show us something and then one of the characters just basically says exactly what's just happened in a, li- a nice little for the audience here's what you just witnessed by the way in case the gravity <laughs> of this hasn't sunk in this is what just happened you know and and those moments Aside from at the beginning here, all bothered me immensely. Yeah, yeah. But um, here it was, it, it was, it was good. And and so I guess next, the next thing that happens is the guests all start to come, and there's mm. this great building of tension where you know Alan is going to arrive, mm. but instead of Alan, every time the doorbell rings, it's it's one of the other guests that that, that comes in, and you meet the next character in the show. Well, are we waiting for Alan to arrive? Or, uh, oh, no, we are waiting for Alan to arrive because we're yeah. waiting for Alan and also the birthday boy. And the birthday boy, that's right. Mm. But each time the doorbell goes, uh, Michael is worried it's Alan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is and, great. And then finally it is, you know, and they breathe a sigh of relief because he said, no, I'm not going to come. And so then they then they really, you know, get flamboyant and start doing the um, their dance and all that stuff and... And then he walks in when they're just at the you know height of of, of craziness, <laughs> and I, I, I that's really when the movie starts. That's that's when the yeah the conflict <laughs> begins. And I thought it went up a notch as of that very moment. I totally agree. I think I think that was that that's where the, the film starts to you know bring on some beautiful turns, and. Him, the, the the moment where Alan appears, unin- <laughs> like he's sort of said he's not coming anymore by this point, yeah, right? Yeah. And then he arrives, and he's in his full kind of like suit, and and just looking completely out of place, as out of place as you possibly can. And then and Michael <laughs> clocks him. There's this mm. you see every emotion go over Parsons' face. You know, like you just yeah. see you see horror you see him trying to compose himself you see him trying to figure out a story and then eventually give in to the moment and kind of try to roll <laughs> with it it's great and and that's when i got my first proper laugh too uh, and it was with the line it was 30 minutes in and it was parsons going 
we were just doing a silly dance, like trying to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to justify, you know, what's going on as if it's completely, completely natural, completely normal. I you love know, it. Nothing that he should be intimidated about. I love it. <laughs> Before we move on to the next bit of the story and just start talking about that, um, yeah. I just want to go back to this setup, right? Because yep. the whole film basically takes place in in Michael's apartment. And one of the things that I loved was that throughout that whole setup, before the guests arrive, when it's just him and uh, his friend talking, he's going around turning on practical lights everywhere and putting things out for the party, but just all the practical lights, all the lamps <laughs> everywhere, the little details that, that keeps yeah. him busy while he's while they're talking. I just thought it was a great touch. It's really well done. And you're saying that those lights actually had a uh, an impact lighting-wise on the... Yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah. I mean, you know, like if once you start getting money on, on film shoots and you can, mm. you can light from giant lights above the set or through windows then those mm. practical lights are like the gold that's the, that's what you you mm. go to next and you want little lamps and you other want... little light sources to to kind of help help fill the scene out and this this uh, set is filled with them well uh, speaking of it being a set like it i think we need to talk about the fact that it was a play cuz i i had no knowledge of it being a play beforehand at all i only worked it out after mm. but I, it wasn't long before I said, "Geez, this is make a great play." I'm not sure how it how it goes as a film, but like it's right. it just feels like a play, and clearly, and it soon became obvious even without reading about it that it is. Yeah. Um, did you did that? Were you okay with that, or did it turn you off? It like did it translate okay for you? I was I was aware that it was a play before before I went mm. in, just vaguely aware, and I don't often like plays that have been adapted to films that much and there are problems with this film that mm. you get with other plays that are adapted to films but that being said i thought there were a lot of things in here that were positive and the characters were all really well realized like i thought the actors all did a great job so mm. there was a lot here to take you on the journey still i think i'd like the play better than the film like i, I felt sometimes it was a bit too on the nose maybe or too vibrant too loud yeah um and i there were moments of of nuance but i i, I just think not not enough yeah i totally agree I, you know i think one of the things that separates this from other plays that have been adapted is that the characters are quite showy in themselves yeah. so you know good point you I think that's part of the reason why I forgave it is because the men were all kind of taking stage anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's and and you can imagine and you can imagine with these characters that that's a normal Saturday night, you know. <laughs> so I I didn't I kind of went with it on that level, but 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 I agree. Like, and and why is it that you can get away with certain things in a play that you can't mm. in film? It's really interesting. Some of them are obvious, but. Other things that you see in here that you make you cringe a little bit or feel a little bit uncomfortable are harder to pinpoint. Well, you're always projecting out, like shouting it, um, not dumbing it down, but um, uh, just being more theatrical, like, literally. Yes. Uh, yeah. Whereas, um, you know, on the screen, you can just you get something across with the flicker of an eye or a, 
you know, um, which this film could have right used smile. some more of. Totally, this film could have used mm. some more of that because there were clear moments in here that didn't need things didn't need to be said. Yeah, yeah, and clear moments when you can see that how it would have played out on the on the stage. You know, um, someone throwing up their their arms and going to the other side of the stage and and then inhabiting their emotion for the next 30 minutes over in the corner while other stuff's going on. Yeah. Like Bernard, the um the first guy to to make the phone call. Yes. You know how he had a great little little vignette of a scene and then kind of after that was off um in his own world just regretting it all the time and that that seemed very theatrical to me. I could I could see him being on the stage doing that. One thing I found interesting was the fact that the whole cast were actually gay actors. Is that true? I, I think I heard something along those lines, but I wasn't sure if that was just one of those things you hear. So all of them? All, all of them. Wow. I, I wondered about it uh, as, as I was watching, um, and I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what in, it, what in me gets me to do that, but I, I think because like, there, are, there are other programs like, let's say, is it Will and Grace or... Yeah, um, modern family, where the L word things like that. Yeah, yeah, where where some of the characters are gay, but they almost I don't know why they do it, but they feel like they've got to have someone who's not <laughs> playing a gay character. Um, yeah, maybe that allows the you know those of us who aren't gay some sort of window into it. I, I I don't understand really. Yeah, but I thought it was quite authentic and nice that all of these men would come to it with their own experiences and reflections. I'm sure they would have known the, the work beforehand. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was a, a nice touch. I agree. Yeah. That's that's kind of what the, the show is about in some ways. And that's mm. where you kind of end up getting to with the journey of it is that all these different men uh, all have their own, their own sort of backlog of heartbreak and stories uh, of trying to fit into society mm. uh, and and that's what that facade being removed in the first part of the film allows you to see into and i just mm. thought that was that that's the real like if even if you don't love all of the in, ins and outs of the film that's the real kind of magic in this in this story is just getting kind of getting behind some of those layers and that facade yeah and they're also they're also cliched, but also also different. And I feel that we watching it now, maybe we we see it as cliche representations of different types of people. But back in the sixties, um, neither of us were there. But uh, there was there's I'm I'm guessing there's no real voice to some of these types of characters. Like you you know um, the audience isn't necessarily familiar with them so it would have been quite groundbreaking i think you're right i don't think this i don't think these would have been considered cliche characters at all these would these would have been this would be like a fresh insight mm. into a world that people didn't really know much about at the time or if you're a gay man in in the late 60s it might have just been a revelation to see characters like people you know up on stage but that, that would be wonderful really wouldn't it if yeah. you think um yeah if you think of being excluded from the mainstream for so long and then suddenly oh there's someone i can relate to um and if you look at all their journeys like there are so many different different um paths that they've all taken that 
a lot of people would be able to relate to a lot of a lot of their stories, I suspect. So we talked about Harold arriving. I think that's where we were up to. Mm. But what I started to get was that there was this real tension between Harold and Michael that is sort of unexplained. And and you end up with this wonderful setup where they're all in the living room together because, uh, you know, the way we had like a turning point that got us out of the first act, there's a wonderful clear turning point at, in the middle of the film where it suddenly starts raining and it happens just yeah. after after Michael and Harold have this weird sort of uh, who's got the bigger dick competition um, between the two of them, but it's more like a snarky, you know, <laughs> who can say the most cutting comment yeah. about the other person. And then it rains and they go inside. Um, it's and, and I think Harold at that moment says, you can't, you know, I, I know this game you're trying to play, Michael, and you can't win. I'm, I'm better at it than you, um, which is what ultimately plays out in, in the film as well. That, that's a really interesting relationship, isn't it? They're, they're mirroring each other yeah. and um, exposing their, I don't know, their, I was going to say strengths and weaknesses, but I'm not sure it's that. It's just exposing their personalities, their knowledge of each other. Um, totally the flaws uh, what what I didn't get with them is not that I didn't get it I kind of wish that relationship had been resolved in some way I agree because um, I, I thought there was all this groundwork done but I didn't get any insight out of it by the what, end what I thought was going to happen is that they were going to turn out to be the love of each other's lives in some way and mm. and but unable to get past their own kind of bitterness and maybe that's maybe that's something that you can sort of an interpretation you can take away from it, but it's not resolved in any way, and there's, mm. there are no answers given by the end of the film in terms of that. So I expect that's intentional, even though it's annoying right. not to be resolved. But like they, there is a nod to it when um, Harold says, "I'll call you tomorrow" or something like that. I loved that. Which I was loved nice. that. Yeah, that was great. Um, I think then, like, once you get all the guys in the living room together and they start playing the telephone game, one of my favorite things was just watching Alan squirm the entire time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so great. It was so great. Yeah, and you're, you're wondering all the time, like, what, like his, his initial reaction is so bigoted and disgusting, and, um, and that really sparks the, the, the angst and the that change in um jim parsons character doesn't it yeah uh, but but throughout you're just not sure what his lens on it all is is he is he's just seeing it in in himself like is he gay and doesn't realize or is he really just hating him um is he coming to some sort of realization as he's as he's there it's hard to interpret it is i i think i ended up with a strong feeling one way or the other by the end of the film um, mm. But before that moment, right towards the end of the film, uh, I was wondering about him the whole time, like what is what his deal was, and uh, what was going to come of it, you know. And and that was one of the arcs, the story arcs that I think I enjoyed the most mm. was just watching watching what happens with him. Well, I guess Alan is at the potentially, depending on how you interpret it, the beginning of his story. Right. You know, that's yes. that's his going through all of this, these emotions that have perhaps been brewing for some time uh, and 
just about to explode with them and make some life choices. Yeah. I don't know. You said you thought you'd worked it out. Did you? No, look, that, that, that's sort of the end of the film. So before we get to that, I'd love to know what you thought about the telephone game. Okay. I thought it was initially absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I thought this is just not a plausible um, plot line. Like there's no, there's nothing for these people to to gain by putting putting themselves under this sort of stress. However, when they started it, then then I started to get into it, and I thought, okay, again, that's that's worth it to really raise the stakes of the film, so that can draw out some of the more tender moments. Um, in a way, it mirrored what I felt about the start of the film, where I thought it was just, you know, jumping the shark from the outset. But then I thought, yes, that's paid off now. So that's it. that's what I thought about the telephone. Well, there, there were a couple of things. It was like, I don't know why Alan just didn't leave, uh, which, but I would say by the end of the film, that becomes a little more apparent. Um, and then the, the telephone thing, I don't know why any one of them would have signed up for that, like to actually said yes to it, because it was clearly mm. Michael baiting them and looking for something, something juicy to happen. Um, mm. But they all... When they started doing it, I just thought, this is gold. This is uh, such a tense, interesting mm. way of kind of unpeeling who each of these characters are. So, no, I, I totally went for the ride. I think it also raised the stakes. The film needed to go somewhere at that yeah, point. Yeah, it did. And it, it provided that, which was good. That game was the film, really, wasn't it? Yes. Like, it was all set up up to that in order to, like you say, raise the stakes for uh for that game to happen and for that game to mean something and i tend to think that maybe it's not so implausible like this this whole room of guys is um it's their safe space you know back back then so they're coming there to be able to emote and explore and you know um bounce ideas off each other and and all all of that so i think i can understand why somewhere within them they would want you know like it's like kids play truth or dare you know there's there's nothing to be gained <laughs> is there you're right nothing but nothing humiliation to be gained and yeah that's right <laughs> totally so this is essentially them doing that sort of thing because they they kind of want to get it out it's you know what's um spin the bottle comes to mind as well but truth or dare is equally mm. as great like when you spin that bottle you've got in your mind that it's going to land on the one person that you really you know are hoping it'll <laughs> land on and that's not going to happen that's never, <laughs> it never happens know, who's kidding themselves that's never going to happen <laughs> that's going to end up landing on the person who's the least like kissable person in the group kissable yeah yeah the one in your mind that you're just gonna be like oh god now we're gonna go into the end of the room and it's gonna be awkward i'm <laughs> gonna pretend things happened no it's great it's but you great. play you play it anyway you play so it anyway because you because you're a fool and you hope that one you that one in a, a million although mm. it's probably only one in eight or ten or whatever but you, you're hoping right yeah <laughs> that's that's hilarious that's that's exactly what that is you know what? I, I think I, by the point in the film that this happened, I was completely over a lot of the witticisms. I had, I was kind of done with all those mm. little sort of, I don't know, just the dialogue was starting to piss me off a little bit. And then this mm. happened and it gave the film a chance to just get real about the people in the room. And I, and, and it was it was kind of overdue. And so then, then I just enjoyed it. I, I sank into it. 
it was nice to see some of the characters um peel the layers away wasn't it like um what's his name emery yes he went through quite a few phases in the film like he was ridiculous and and then he gets punched in the face you know um and that's was awful to see and then he you you really get a sense into his background probably more than some of the others yes no i i think um i think his character was the most the most sort of the most. Let me just call it that. He, the was, most. he was just the most. You know, <laughs> he was. He was. He was the highest, and he was the lowest, and it, it, that was interesting to see. Yeah, he was cool. Jeezy was full on sometimes, though, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, and and not necessarily likable all the time. Like you really wanted to hit him <laughs> yourself. <laughs> yeah. Early, early on. Um, That's but right. But then, yeah, I think he gets you in the end. So I guess. The game plays out like there's nothing too surprising in there, um, mm. except for it kind of eventually gets to the moment where Alan, the straight guy, I like I was thinking of a straight Alan the whole way through this, um, yep. has to do his phone call and he decides to actually do it, even though he probably should have just left. Um, mm. And you think he's called someone, uh, Justin, I think it is the the. The yep. other man from college who he had, you know, apparently slept with a couple times. And in fact, what he actually does is call his wife, who he's, he's sort of had a falling out with. Yep. Um, and the moment where Michael thinks that it's Justin that Alan's called and he yanks the phone off and he's like, Justin, you know, he's just so, <laughs> so like, yes, I did I gotcha. it. I made this happen. And it turns out to be Fran, the wife, and he's just so bitterly disappointed and then kind of sobered by the whole thing um, mm. is crazy. Like that was, I guess that's the, that's the, the, that's the climax, right, of, of the film. That's what it leads up to. And do you take that as, as fa at face value that, yes, he really was just having a spat with his wife and, and just wanted to call his wife because he really loves her and... Do you, did you buy that? No. So um, I think up to that point, I was I was on the fence with Alan. I wasn't sure what was mm. going on here. Um, even I didn't know if I entirely believed Michael's whole story about Alan. Like I just wasn't sure. Um, mm. But it wasn't until the very end where Donald says basically, you know, why do you think Alan was crying on the phone earlier? Why do you think he was in New York City all of a sudden? Why do you think he just broke up with his wife out of the blue? That you mm. get the whole feeling that actually um, he's almost done the equivalent of this very same phone call that Michael set up This and, and gone, mm. um, I'm going to break up with my wife. I'm going to go to New York because I've always been in love with Michael, the main character. Um, mm. and that all seemed to click together because Donald tells you, I don't know if I would have pieced it all together in quite that way. Maybe, maybe you were already there. What do you think? Yeah. I think that's what I took out of it. Like from the, from the time he makes the phone call. Yes. You really, that's the first thing you think. And then like, I think then you waver as to what's going on, but ultimately I, yeah, I reckon he was into Michael. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, and and he leaves by saying he leaves and says thank you and I think I got this feeling that the thank you was actually because Michael had revealed himself to be so ugly in a, in a way. Um uh. you know what I mean? Like that's sort of what I took from it and that this relationship that he thought or this dream that he thought of Michael mm. being and that they might have this thing was kind of shattered and he was thanking him for that. 
He could now go back to his wife. I felt the tragedy of it all was through this whole game that Michael has orchestrated, it felt to me like he's all along wanting to be validated himself. Like he, there's almost a reason for pretty much all of them that he thinks maybe he's the one, you know, for them. He thinks maybe he's going to get a call. Right. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Not that they can because it's. I was trying to work out, no, they're at his house. They can't actually call him out. How are they going to work that out? Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. He he didn't get a call and um, I don't know. I, th- I think that he, he, and he ends up being the lonely one at the end and you know what everyone around him they're all having trysts and they're all and they're or they're mm. coupled off or there's you know love in some form happening and he's the one at the center with with nothing that's mm. that's so true yeah he's he's a ultimately such a sad character and the film ends with him running off down the street by himself which just sort of basically ties it all off um you know the thing that annoyed me the most about this this part of the film though Mm. It's basically after after that phone call where he's yanked the phone and Alan said thank you and left. Then Harold, mm. the Zachary Quinto character, decides to basically sum up everything that's just <laughs> happened and how awful Michael is. What a sort of bitter, <laughs> twisted, guilt-ridden, horrible human he is when you've seen it. And it could have you've seen all of that and you could have just he could have done it with a look. In fact, yeah. I reckon if he had just had a long look at Michael and Michael back at him and they'd shared an understanding and Michael was able to say through a look, yes, I'm a piece of shit. And Harold was able to say, this is my birthday through a look, right? And then just got up and said the next thing he does, which is lovely evening, everybody. Thank you so much. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> you know, kissing everybody and just like... <laughs> These presents are wonderful. Like that would have just been that would have been a much a much cooler way to do it. I I think. Yeah. Yes. It would have been a much way to co- much better way to do the whole film. Uh, but then I I think they they were doing that on purpose because really these two characters in particular Harold and Michael I think they get something out of having all their insecurities and uh, thrown back at them. Like there's some weird thing between them in that. Right. So I think. I think that's less about ex- explaining the joke and more about the the nature of their relationship. It's more like so you're saying it's more like Har- that's Harold's character. Like he has to take this opportunity now to throw that dagger at Michael because, you know, yeah. yeah. And and I I don't really buy it in the same way you do, but I think it's intentional for that reason. So if maybe for the character, you've got to keep it in. Mm-hmm. I see. Any of the other other performances or characters that. You, that stood out. I know we haven't really talked about Hank and Larry. Strangely, this is this is I I found this odd because I was drawn to Hank as a mm. more subtle character. Right. Me too. Yeah. I was drawn to him. I was like, oh, he's this is an interesting character. But then as as I I started second guessing myself as the film went on, and I yeah. was like, well, is that because I'm a straight guy? Like, and and is that also why Alan is drawn to Hank? Oh, well, and, well. Categorically, yes, but how gross is that to be drawn to the character because he's he's a bit more relatable to you because he's a little more mm. like you? That's not gross at all. That's probably really normal. But at the same time, no. <laughs> at the same time, I felt a little disappointed in myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I get you, but I, I I had exactly the same feeling, and I I think I was self aware of that feeling yeah. all through, and I I actually thought 
it's a great device because you can't expect, you know, um, a, in this case, a straight guy to be able to naturally inhabit this world and understand it. So to have someone who is who is quite relatable, mm. you know, both for the, you know, antagonist Alan and for, say, me as a viewer, to be able to get in, get into that zone through his eyes was, I think it's quite good. And then, and then, and then the rest of it is not so, um, not so full on somehow. Yeah, that's a great point. So it it is disgusting. Like we should be able to do better, but I think it helps. <laughs> yeah, but probably also intentional. Probably something that you know um, the mm. author was fully aware of. The other the other character that did that for me a little as well was Donald. Uh, Matt yes. Bomer's character. I thought, I thought he was just a really good kind of backbone of the film. He wasn't as uh, extravagant in any of the ways that the others were. He was just a, a bit of a rock for Michael and a bit of a steadier for us as the audience. Yeah, I think he, that's right. He was the most sort of reasonable and grounded of all of them, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah, he was also the eye candy. Did you notice that? Like in the first, <laughs> so in that first act of the film where everything's kind of overboard and cliched in some ways, you have him just undressing and kind of walking around with his abs and, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, sh showering. And the camera was always sort of tilted or the, there was a mirror so that you could see basically everything but his dick at all moments right <laughs> and 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 i was just thinking at the time I, I i was like this is funny like men are men right whether they're into women mm. or guys they want to see they want to see a naked person <laughs> they just you know like they want to they want someone hot in there and they want almost them entirely naked as as naked as com they can possibly have them <laughs> it's it's classic I, I was thinking much much the same <laughs> I, I thought in one in one respect, this was an unusual choice for us, you know, because it's a very gay film. Uh, but in another, we've spent so many episodes now focused on male relationships mm. and the different versions of those, you know, really uber male and, you know, soft and tender and parts in between. True. Um, dealt with race, with the five bloods of, of all the, the, the black mates mm. um, and... And this is just another version of that, and they're all still blokes. And it, it's quite interesting to see just how many flavours of men and male relationships there are. That's true. That's a great point. When you put this film up against something like The Five Bloods, it's it's interesting as well. Have, hadn't thought about it in those terms. Yeah. Well, that was meant to be what it might reminds me of, so I've jumped the gun. You've jumped the gun. There you go. Well, should we get into Remind Me Ofs? Reminds Me Ofs. Reminds me of, yes, well, I've done one, The Five Bloods. You've done it. Uh, so it's your more. turn. Oh, that was it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it. Uh, they both just deal with um, with male friendship, but, uh, you know, not your uh, mainstream Ocean's Eleven. Like they really zone in on a particular, particular group of men and look at the subtleties within that group rather than... Um, for both groups, you'd you'd have the the token one in the group normally. Like none of these are token. It's it's a real exploration of gay friendship. You know, um, for example. Yeah, spot on. The first film that came to mind was was Denzel Washington's Fences, 
It's a uh, August Wilson play that he uh, that he adapted, and a lot of the things that work and don't work in this film remind me of the things that work and don't work in that film. Uh, I haven't seen that or heard of it. Yeah, right. Well, so Denzel Washington has been sort of entrusted with the the um, August Wilson catalog of plays. There's another mm. one coming out soon, I believe, on Netflix which we should probably check out when it happens. But that was the first one, and it was in some parts great. I think there was an Oscar win and a couple noms for that one. But like overall, what didn't work for me was a lot of the the, the play-to-film problems that are just common. Like, mm. you know, we're making a film, but we're going to... I think he treated it very much like a play, the way the cameras set up and moved, the way it moved, the way the, set, the setups and the, the sets... And the way the actors move around the sets, uh, you have to, I think if you're going to do this well, you have to really think about adapting the whole thing across to like a cinematic language. I would say one or the other. Like, I I think it can work both ways, being expanded into the cinematic language or to, to give another reference that we've talked about about a million times, the likes of Rope, where it kind of really is, it looks like it's on the stage. Essentially, so, so that is my that is the that is the other reference I had because I couldn't <laughs> get past it. No, that's fine. I couldn't get yeah. past it, and we have talked about it a bunch of times. But this film, more than I think anything we've talked about before, just reminded me so much of Rope because because it's just a play depicted on the screen. Yeah, but also in this case, it's set in an apartment, and hmm. there's a passage of time that happens in the apartment, and there's also this sense that the characters in this setting are the only characters you're going to have and by the end of it they're going to have imploded somehow or cross each other's paths in a way that they'll never be the same so like that idea of putting a group of a small party of people into a room the rest just happens you know within the space i think that's so i go to the melbourne theater company quite a bit yeah and and see those plays and every season um, i'm sure there's two or three that are exactly that set up and usually a dinner party or something where it can be contained where there's half a dozen you know uh, characters come in and they just explode off each other in certain ways um two of them i'll, I'll do this as a reminds me but a double header uh these are both in from the 60s but that have lived on beyond that uh, don's party a david williamson play which is was also a film that's got a political bent so it's a couple of labor followers a couple of liberal followers in australia set up to watch the uh the election and they just play off each other in much the same way and who's afraid of virginia wolf which i haven't seen for a long time but again it's just a collection of people trapped in a in a, in a house or apartment i can imagine in plays this like you're saying this happens a lot i don't think you see it in films as often however there Mm. are probably still thousands of them that have been made that i'm just not thinking of uh any others no look i only just finished this about half an hour before we started recording so i haven't (laughs) thought about too many other remind me of so those are the ones that popped into my mind while i was watching it i i had one it's not it's an anti-reference probably and it's a bit of a cliche for you know to mention but Brokeback Mountain as just another mainstream film that caught the general public's attention mm. that deals with um, the with uh, gay relationships, but, you know, are people struggling with them with characters like the Alan K- 
character or yeah. the um the Hank character that are perhaps caught between two worlds a little. I just come back to this thing of the gay actors versus straight actors playing these roles. And with Breakback Mountain, I thought I, I started to wonder was it so accessible to someone like me because of the novelty of Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. Uh, I know that they're straight and therefore that gives me an entry into it. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I, I think it probably was. I think that's probably why that was so mainstream, but it shouldn't be. And I really respected this film for, you know, having people that, you know, live the emotions. Yeah. It's, um, well, I was just thinking as you were talking about it, that that film, um, like, if you look at just the trailer, you know you're going to get into something that is quite an epic. That that story mm. feels like an epic from the start. Um, this one, you, you're not sure if you're going to get show tunes. Like when you see the trailer <laughs> for this, if you're seeing the boys in the band, like if you don't know anything about it, you're not sure if you, if there's going to be singing and dancing. You know, like it's it's really pitched one way. Um, mm. which is just marketing, you know, the film isn't really that at all. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there'd be a lot of people that would be turned off this. Like I, I can imagine they wouldn't, they wouldn't click on it to watch it because it just feels so far one way. Bef I mean, before we wrap up, I don't know if you have any more reminds me of us, but we haven't really said what, if we like the film yet. Did you, did you enjoy it, Kim? Um, <laughs> that's a really hard question because I didn't enjoy a lot of it. Like I had to really struggle through large portions of it and it annoyed me regularly <laughs> and I just wish some of the speeches had been toned down or cut down especially with the the Harold character when he started to get you know um into those long soliloquies yeah uh, so a lot annoyed me when it um when I liked it it was great yeah so, interesting so I I, I don't know. I was I was sort of hoping I'd work that out during this conversation. I think <clears throat> I think I feel the same way. I was kind of I think I was almost enjoying it on one level because I wanted to understand the film and have a good way to talk about it afterwards. You know what I mean? Like mm. there were, that was part of the entertainment in some ways for me was to sort of unwrap what was happening and get to the bottom of it. Uh, but would I say that I loved the film just in its own right? I don't know if I if I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's a good the mm. thing is I think it's a good film. I came out at the end of it and just went, that's a good film. Um, but I don't know if it's a great film, you know. I'm not sure I came out of it thinking it was a good film. Mm. I, th I thought it was a flawed film, but I thought it was probably an important film, like a, a definitely an important play. And I can just imagine the nostalgia if you had um, grown up with with that play at the time, and it's a sort of thing you would know every line for, and to and it's been on Broadway recently, and and I think the same actors have, have done the film this version as did the oh, right. the Broadway version. Wow! So I think if you really love the concept of it, it must just be so nice to have it as a an artifact. Yes. Um, so I can completely see everything that would be wonderful about it and I can see why they'd play it true to the play rather than get all cinematic. So just heaps and heaps to love but mm. didn't, as a whole didn't quite get me. 
Interesting how some films are more than than the film themselves, and that's because because of the mm. time and the the history, the the place and the world that it takes place in, um, and what it's sort of saying about the world. Like those things do add up to the greater to greater than the whole in some respects. Yeah, mm. and it definitely wasn't bad. Like it was okay. So, but I'm hearing what I'm hearing is you wouldn't be telling other people to go see it. You've you've not hated it. You've sort of enjoyed parts of it, but you wouldn't be saying to uh, to others go off and see Boys in the Band. No, I probably wouldn't. But I wouldn't be telling them to stay away either. Like I'd say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, I'd say if you like any of the people in it, perhaps you know you'll probably enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, for me, I, it's it's pretty similar. Um, I would say that if you're a fan of um, Jim Parsons, it's worth seeing his performance to see what he does with that character. But I, mm. but I agree. Um, I probably wouldn't be telling others to go and to go and check it out, particularly not when there's a lot of other choices out there at the moment. But I did enjoy watching it, and I'm glad that I did. You know, I, I reckon if it was the same cast on the stage, I think I'd have a completely different view. I think that it would be a riot to see them do that on stage mm. Mm. well there are some plays that just you know probably should just stay plays you know um and this this could be a much better experience on this on on the stage cool well the boys in the band is that a have we i think we're done the band i think we're done i think we're done with it so there you go and next week we are going to be starting the haunting of Bly manor the second season of that anthology series that started off with mm. the haunting of hill house which was so great this is exciting this is a this is more new terrain for us look at us we're just explorers of, of different <laughs> types of things to talk about absolutely and we don't know how we're going to do it yet because it's a tv show instead of a movie but we're thinking that we might do more than one episode and we'll start we'll start with the first one and see how we go yeah i'm looking forward to that i loved the first the first season me too uh, so this really is a is going to be a joy can't wait well next time doc au revoir baron all right have a good see one see ya see ya